O God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Once upon a time, there were a people with no kings or queens to rule over them. Their ruler was Yahweh, and they were a people who journeyed with God. But they struggled to stay faithful to God, and they went through these cycles over and over again. The people would disobey God. God would punish them in return. The people would cry out to God for help. And God would send them a leader from within the community, a judge, to help them and save them, and then there would be peace. Until the next time. Um, The next time they were disobedient, and then it would start all over again. Wash, rinse, repeat. This people were, yet again, deep into that cycle and were suffering the particular punishment of enslavement by the nearby Canaanites for 20 years. So they were in 20 years at this point. The people cried out to God for God's help, and God sends this really wise woman named Deborah, a prophetess who listened to God and who called her people back to faithfulness. Her people knew that she was a woman of God and was very wise. So they would come to her under the palm of Deborah. I love that. She had her own palm tree and people would come seeking wisdom, Um, seeking her for counsel and for judgment over the matters of the day. She was well trusted by all, even the military leaders. So Deborah heard a word from the Lord and called for one of her people's military leaders, Barak, and told him that God was calling him to go out and defeat General Sisera, leader of the Canaanite army, telling him that God was going to deliver General Sisera right into his hands. Which is where our reading ended. You have to hear the rest of the story. After Deborah delivers this good news, Barak responds not with joyful obedience, but with uncertain hesitation and tells Deborah, yeah, you're going to have to go with me if I'm going to do that or I'm not going to go. Which, side note, isn't that just fabulous? God told you to go straight into victory, but you still need me, a woman, to go with you or you won't do what God is telling you to do. Anyway, she says, yeah, I'm going to go with you, but now this isn't going to be your victory anymore. The glory will no longer be yours, but God is going to deliver our people, hear this, through the hand of a woman. I know, right? So Barak rallies the troops, and he, accompanied by Deborah, led 10,000 warriors to attack this general and his army. When General Sisera heard, he rallied his mighty army and chariots and came to meet Barak and his troops. But the moment came, and so at this point, the moment came for Barak to make the move. Deborah commanded him, it's time, you gotta go. This was going to be when God was going to give General Sisera right into his hands. So they went, and while on the way, the Lord threw General Sisera's army into a panic. 
And the Israelites were able to defeat every single person except General Sisera who ran away. So the story goes, General Sisera ran away to a tent of a woman named Jael. Have you ever heard that name before? Mm-hmm. Her husband's clan was at peace with the king, with uh, Jabin, I think is is that the word? Yeah, um, with King Jabin and General Sisera's people. Um, so he knew it was a safe place to go. However, Jael was alone. Her husband was not around, um, and it seems like nobody was even really in earshot. So, but she came out to meet General Sisera, and she invited him into her tent, which kind of a vulnerable move, right? Like what happens in the tent can stay in the tent. But he invites her in, she invites him in nonetheless to rest. She covered him with a warm blanket. She gave him some milk to drink. And then stood at the entrance to the tent to be on watch. He asked her, please don't tell anyone. This can be just our little secret, right? So as he fell asleep, resting peacefully in the comforts and warmth of Jael's care, Jael grabbed a tent peg and a hammer and nailed the tent peg right through his temple until it pierced the ground below him. Oh, and he died. Shortly thereafter, Barak and his crew show up and Jael takes them to her tent and shows them, your enemy's dead. You can take him now. So verse 23 reads, so on that day, God subdued King Jabin of Canaan before the Israelites and they lived happily ever after. Well, I added that last little part that's actually not in scripture, um, but whatever. A woman saved Israel from the threat of Sisera and not even at the hands of the woman we thought it was going to be. But by a woman who wasn't even part of the tribe of Israel. Who was protecting herself, her people, and a whole nother lot of people. If you can't tell, this is one of my favorite stories in scripture. (laughs) Um, And it's actually the only time that the lectionary, that three-year cycle of Bible readings that churches use for planning worship, it's the only time that the book of Judges ever comes up. Side note, Judges is like a horror novel, and it only gets worse as you go along. So if you want to like... If you want to like compare the horrible atrocities that happen in our world, it's not new. Um, it's very much um, something that just our warring madness is just it's a part of who we are. But this story about a woman in leadership who was wise and discerning, who listened to her God and who helped save her people is the only time that, that a story from this book even gets mentioned in this three-year cycle the highlight the bible doesn't highlight if, if, if you've read the bible before you might notice that women are not often the heroines right the bible doesn't often highlight the lives and works of women serving in a leadership capacity every often but in this particular story 
Her capacity to lead and to lead well is apparently not a consideration. She is trusted by her people, even by the most powerful of men. Given the context of the time, that speaks powerfully about God's willingness to work through anyone that God wanted to, with no respect to the particularities of persons we adorable little humans think are necessary. And I have a, is Luke, um, I have a meme that I'd like to show, show you based on this scripture. It says, when I say I want a biblical wife, what people think I mean is I want a wife who is passive and subservient. What I really mean is I want a wife who is totally willing to drive a tent spike into a tyrant's head should the opportunity arise. Just saying. You'll also notice that Keila shared another story with us this morning, one from Jesus, a parable he shared to engage folks with in some spiritual imagination. I love that. As a quick recap, basically there's this boss who entrusts three of his workers to manage his assets while he is away, giving each of those workers different amounts of responsibility depending on their ability. The first one, who was entrusted with the most, reports to his boss upon his return that he doubled the initial amount, turning over an incredible profit for his boss, which obviously pleased him. The second, who was entrusted with less, also reported to his boss upon his return that he, too, doubled what he was given, and that, too, pleased the boss. But the third, who was entrusted with the least amount, reported to his boss upon his return that he didn't do anything with what he was given because he was afraid. So he just buried it and gave it back to him with no growth. That did not please his boss. And he took the little that he had given to this worker initially and gave it back to the first one who had the most. I know. These two stories are very different from one another and exist in different times and different places with different people. But they beg the same question. What is mine to do? Each person was given a task, Deborah, to lead, to offer wisdom and guidance, to speak for God. Barak was called to lead his troops into battle with very high stakes, trusting that God would fight for them and give them the victory. Our girl, Jael, protect herself and her people, and even an entire people that weren't her own. And the three workers to turn a profit on an investment on behalf of another. So with maybe... Hey, Theo. With maybe the exception of Jael, the ask was specific, and each person had exactly what they needed in order to accomplish the task at hand. For those who answered with an unequivocal yes, they trusted that the task was theirs, and that they shifted their focus on what was right in front of them instead of getting distracted or worrying about what they didn't have to complete the task. Those who wavered 
or just flat out said no, were afraid. They were afraid that there wasn't enough. That there, wasn't, that there weren't enough resources, that they weren't up to the job, that the person asking them to do the task was, unworth, was untrustworthy. The risk far outweighed the reward from their perspective. This question, what is mine to do, is one that I think a lot of us wrestle with. There is an immense amount of need in the world in our country, in our communities, even in our families. There's an endless list of things that need attending to, and it can be really overwhelming and or tempting to try to fix all of it. I know no one in this room uh, feels this way. Uh, it's just me, right? Um, or to completely give up and run away. Kind of fight, flight, freeze. In each of these stories, here are a couple of takeaways that I might offer, and then I have a question for you all. The first one is that each person in the story had something to offer, and they were called upon to do what they could do. Nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' parable, the boss was equally pleased with the first two servants who doubled the profit, even if their profits were like completely different than each other. They came up to the task, and they did what was theirs to do. The boss was pleased with their contribution equally. We, too, have all, all have something to offer, and God's desire for us is to offer what we have been given for the greater good, but not what we don't have. And we aren't expected to show up alone. God goes with us and equips us, even and especially when we are scared or anxious about it. Number two, when folks in both of these stories said yes to something, they needed to say no to others. Deborah was a prophetess, a judge and a military advisor, which is such an interesting resume, right? But she was not a soldier. And she wasn't called to lead the army or to take out General Sisera on her own. Because of her commitment to the Lord and her focusing on speaking the truth that was given to her, she equipped the people who were supposed to do that job. But she didn't do the job for them, right? When we say yes to something, we have to say no to others. When we say yes to too much, now let me tell you, I'm saying these things and um, this is a sermon to myself, so if like no one else like hears a word for themselves, it's fine. I'm hearing it um, and have been hearing it all week. So um, yeah, when we say yes to too much, not only do we do that poorly because we're spread too thin or we burn out from having too heavy of a plate but also, if we say yes to everything, thinking that it won't get done if I don't do it, gosh, it's so hard to say these words out loud, we're standing in the way of someone else using their gift, and we are all needed. The third thing, and maybe this is one of the hardest truths to consider, that fear is what was at the root of the hesitation 
or the hiding that folks did. Barak was afraid to, to go it alone without Deborah, even though God was the one guiding him. And the third servant in the parable was straight up afraid and intimidated by his boss, so he gave up before he even started. Because fear is this gnarly giant that often holds us back from living from our center. It is sneaky and takes many forms. Fear causes us to doubt ourselves, to doubt God, and to believe that the risk is not worth the effort. But the opposite of fear isn't certainty. And I think this is something that I, lifelong learning. (laughs) It is trust and courage to do the thing anyway. And we find the strength to face our fears when we know what is ours to do. However, we're still left with the question, how do I know what is mine to do? There's a lot calling for our attention, and it's very easy to get lost in the general overwhelm that is the world. And I think that's a fairly universal uh, idea for folks who want to help and co-create the world that they hope for. So I'm wondering, oh wise people, how is it that you discern what is yours to do? How do you discern what is not yours to do? Even when you want to say yes, because you care. <laughs>